Uh, good evening, comrades, friends. This is the People's School for Marxist London Studies. It's Thursday evening, 8 o'clock, New York City time, July 29th. The year is 2020. Tonight is going to be on the Communist Party in Japan during World War II. I'm going to have to give an update on that towards the end because since 1968, the party has gone through a great change. In fact, it is no longer a Marxist-Leninist party, according to them. So I want to mention that. So we're going to start with the period when they were first born. And Sirsha, you can go ahead and start it now. So as Angela said, we're talking about the Japanese Communist Party during World War II. And I'm going to begin with the beginnings of the party. At its founding in 1922, the Japanese Communist Party was outlawed by the Imperial Peace Preservation Law, which forbade dissidents against the empire. Many of its founding members were quickly exiled and imprisoned. Some were even killed, actually. The party was founded as a resistance group with a small but popular support base among a wide range of different socialists. This included anarchists, Trotskyites, so on and so forth. The party was initially a loosely organized group. It was very chaotic. Over time, through members with less organizational discipline and experience ending up in prison or leaving, through the fires of hardship and self-discipline, the party became a true Leninist organization. A certain document, known as the 1932 Thesis, which was written by Sanzo Nosaka while he was in Moscow as the Japanese Communist Party's representative to the Comintern, became the leading document for the party, helping them forge a Marxist-Leninist path. In their struggle to get to that point and beyond, many comrades in the party died. Sadly, there was too many to name in the class. This, along with sound leadership from the party, helped guide them in their actions during World War II, which will be the subject of the class. Many members of the party spent the war in hiding, others in prison or fighting in other countries. One such comrade who fought abroad was Comrade Nosaka. He fled to Japan. And there, he met up with the Communist Party of China, and he joined in the fight with the Chinese Red Army at their base in Yan'an. There, as the leader of the Japanese Communist Party, he helped establish the Japanese People's Emancipation League, which essentially became the Japanese Communist Party during World War II. This happened in 1944. Through the Japanese People's Emancipation League, he aided the Communist Party of China and the Red Army in re-educating thousands of prisoners of war, convincing them to fight against Japanese imperialism and for the cause of socialism. The Japanese People's Emancipation League spread throughout China and attracted many Japanese troops, not only prisoners of war, but deserters and those disillusioned with the cause they were fighting for. 
the Japanese People's Emancipation League was said by Mao Zedong himself, among others, to have been a great asset in fighting against Japanese imperialism in Japan. In fact, this was the greatest accomplishment of the Japanese Communist Party during World War II. And the Japanese People's Emancipation League will be the main focus of the class nope. tonight, as it was essentially the Japanese Communist Party became during World War II. And with that, I will open up for questions. What's very striking about the loss of the imperialist states like Japan or North America or Europe is that the laws against the communists are about, like, they say, preservation of peace, preservation of this. This is truly in contradictions with the process of history. The communists and the socialists are the only true universal representatives of laws, even natural, including natural laws. And I wonder how those ruling classes come up or dare to come up with that kind of laws when they can investigate that the communist ideology is really to peace and social progress and universal peace throughout all nations. The laws like the McCarthy era laws in this North America is a totally fascistic and they have the guts to consider those as laws when they can deeply understand that the communist movement is not banditry or lawlessness or against universal peace. So I just need some reflections on that. That's it. I think it's sort of understandable that the capitalist class and the people that support them have a line that communists are terrorists. They use the uh, example from 1920s when they had the first Red Scare. They said that these immigrants that came from Russia and other countries in one hand, they held a bomb. In the other hand, a knife. That's what they, that's the that's the typical capitalist interpretation. What type of pull did JCP have on the mainland, on Japan, in Japan? They fought in China. That's cool. Or at least that guy did. But what type of pull did they have? What type of influence did they have, if any? Thank you. In mainland Japan, by World War II, they were doing almost nothing in mainland Japan except for some minor subversive activities. But they were trying their best to get people, like they were trying to do strikes once in a while. But it was very hard because of, honestly, how effective the military regime was in Japan at suppressing dissidents. Okay, thank you. I want to add to that. The party grew like all the communist parties did in the world, all of them, including the one in this country. They grew after 1945. The war ended. Occupation of McCarthy, General McCarthy in Japan. The party basically became a center of opposition to the American occupation. So they became a resistance force, just like they did in every other country in Europe. So they grew. In the trade union movement, they grew. Unions were restarted. Remember, the unions have basically been abolished under the empire. They restarted the trade union movements, and they were led by the communists like they were all over the world at the time. And that's the rebirth of the Japanese Communist Party. That's when they really grew. I hope that answers your question. 
Yes, comrade. Yes. Thank you. And right. if I can add on to that, sadly, though there was growth, which sadly did not last long, was the revolutionary fervor of the party, because with Japan becoming a non-militaristic nation, the party also became a reformist party not long after Japan signed the declaration saying that they wouldn't build up a military ever again. They decided that they would try and do the revolution the way that Bernstein thought the revolution should happen, through reform. Thank you. I was wondering about the material conditions of the Japanese population before the war. Was it comparable to any European countries? Was there a large peasant section or like a sizable labor aristocracy? Yes, there was. And the peasants, a lot of Japan was rural, but they were trying to industrialize. They were trying to Americanize. That was the big thing. I'm sure a lot of us remember from American history hearing about Commodore Perry. We've all heard about Commodore Perry. Brought the West to the doors of Japan. They all tried to Americanize. So they built up a labor aristocracy with the Meiji Restoration, tried to bring the West to Japan. And the peasant class in Japan especially existed in the northern island of Hokkaido, where the Ainu people lived. The Ainu people were treated similarly to how Native Americans and black people are treated in America. They're treated as second-class citizens, and they made up the majority of the peasantry in Japan. Okay, thank you. What is the modern status of the Japanese Communist Party right now? I could answer that. I was going to say the Bernsteinites. Yeah, okay, ideologically. They are now consider themselves a mass party, not a cadre party. They put out a daily newspaper called Red Flag. I believe it's called the Red Flag. Sorry. And they have members in the parliament, and their position is thoroughly reformist. They don't even have a hammer and sickle predominant anymore. In fact, there is a group that puts out a bulletin. They're a small group. The reason why they came to us is what we're trying to do here in this country with rebuilding the communist movement as a Marxist-Leninist movement. They're trying that in Japan. And so we're in contact with them. I have the name of it. It's Shishu Undo. They send us their paper. It's spelled S-H-I-S-O. The undo is U-N-D-O. In 1968, the West was behind a movement in Czechoslovakia to overturn socialism. Fidel Castro has written on this at the time he wrote in it, telling that what was going on. And the Warsaw Pact countries came to the aid of the section of the party, most of them workers in the factories. Please come in and help us. I don't know if anybody knows the situation. I'll make it in one sentence. It was done by Alexander Dubček, who was a social democrat, head of the party, just like Gorbachev, but was following social democratic economic policies, getting rid of centralized planning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so when that happened, the only party that came out strongly against it in the beginning was the Japanese party. Okay? In this country... A group broke away 
led by Al Richmond in the West Coast of the U.S., who was the editor of a newspaper that the party put out called People's World, not the same group that exists now. It was a separate newspaper put out by the Western section of the CPUSA. It was called People's World. He was the editor, and him and his friends attacked the Soviet aid to the Czechoslovak Communist Party and supported Dubček. He wrote a book called A View from the Left, Al Richmond. Anyway, he became one of the first renegades in my lifetime since I was in the movement. And the word is renegade or turncoat. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because the Japanese party started in 68 to turn against anything that had to do with the Soviet Union. By 1970s, it was very bad. In 1985, it came out. The Japanese party came out in World Marxist Review, which was the magazine of the international communist movement. They came out and supported Gorbachev and Perestroika. So you see, they start at one point, the rot, R-O-T. The rot starts from the head down, like in a fish, and it just got worse and worse and worse. Today, they are attacking the DPRK every day. They attack the DPRK as a warmonger country, and their view is that the DPRK is just as bad as American imperialism, which, of course, is ridiculous. Small little country like the DPRK that was attacked by the U.S. in 52, that was decimated, they put on the same scale as U.S. imperialism. So that's the situation of the Japanese CP today. In my opinion, I wouldn't give them the right time of day if they asked me. Thank you. I just want to say that 68 was when Sanzo and Osaka, the last remaining quote-unquote Stalinist in the party in leadership, lost his power as well. That was when he fell from grace in the party because it came out that he allegedly murdered somebody in Japan for Stalin. So the party slandered him, so he fell from grace in 1968. On January 15, 1944, at an executive committee meeting of the Japanese Anti-War League, with Comrade Mao Zedong in attendance, among others, including many members of the Japanese Communist Party, the statement for the formation of the Japanese People's Emancipation League was formalized, written, and presented as follows from the text. Hitler's doom is at hand. The military clique of Japan is trailing behind Hitler, is also not far from its doom. The suffering and poverty of the Japanese people in Japan and abroad and of the soldiers at the front are already very extreme. Among them, the sentiment of war weariness against the war and against the military clique is increasing and extending day by day. The state of affairs shows that the conditions for organizing the broadest people's front for the struggle for peace and freedom are ripening. We now address ourselves to all progressive elements at home and abroad, proposing the setting up of such a people's front organization, serving as principal organizer and promoter of such a front. We of the enlarged executive committee of the North China Association of the Japanese Anti-War League have decided to set up a preparatory committee of the Japanese People's Emancipation League. The Emancipation League we are to organize 
is representative of the demands of all the people. And in the document, it includes the program and the demands that they made, which includes the termination of the war, a foreign policy of peace, an economic policy for independence and prosperity, at national strength of the nation, a purge of the military clique and the dissolve of all the organizations under their direction, a guarantee for political freedom and independence and democracy to improve the standard of living of all people and to overthrow the warlike government of Japan and to establish a united progressive government. And on the basis of that, the Emancipation League was established. After its formation, the Japanese People's Emancipation League would continue to fight alongside the Chinese Red Army for the duration of the war, as many members of the Japanese Communist Party had previously done. Their fighting, however, consisted not in the typical battlefield fight, but a fight behind the line of fire. It consisted of writing statements, making demands, setting up re-education camps, sending out spies, and all other manners of work that were necessary to ensure victories. While there were some members who did indeed fight and decided to engage in actual combat, much of the most important work was done behind the scenes through the Japanese People's Emancipation League. In fact, the Chinese Red Army initially did not have the capacity to imprison prisoners of war, and it was through the tireless work of Comrade Nosaka with his comrades in the Red Army and the members of the Japanese Communist Party that helped form the Japanese People's Emancipation League that this task was accomplished. The prisoners of war who were captured had been trained to expect death upon capture. And they found themselves in shock when they discovered quite the opposite to be true. Upon capture, they were fed, clothed, and treated kindly by their captors. Their treatment was much more kind than they had ever been treated previously by those that they'd served. This tactic in particular was very effective, and it showed the humanity of Marxism to the prisoners of war. It helped build a repertoire between the prisoners of war and the members of the Japanese People's Emancipation League, as well as the members of the Chinese Red Army. It was more than a simple tactic, however, and in fact, a basic tenet of Marxism. To paraphrase Mao Zedong, we are not supposed to hate those with incorrect ideas, but we should befriend them, unite with them, and encourage them to go forward. This was the policy that was used by the Japanese People's Emancipation League when dealing with the prisoners of war. The Japanese People's Emancipation League did not just stay in China, however. It became a global organization reaching out to the entire Japanese diaspora, from Asia to the United States to South America. And with that, I will stop if there are any questions. I did want to add some background information. I lived in Japan for most of the 90s. And 
I can verify some things that, first of all, the Ainu were, in fact, treated as a minority just like the Native Americans and the black people in this country. However, the peasantry in Japan is quite different. The ethnic Japanese farmers, mostly because rice is treated in such a sacred way, were very well-to-do, and as a matter of fact, they were behind the early industrialization of Japan as far as back as a couple hundred years ago. Second thing regarding the DPRK, I can tell you that the attitude towards the DPRK in Japan is at least as in opposition as it is in this country. Thank you. Good, interesting points. I want to add something to that. I don't know if you experienced it. After the war, there were in Japan Koreans who had been taken and sent to the mainland of Japan. They came from Korea when it was being occupied by the Japanese Empire. Those people stayed in Japan and they formed a subculture. I don't know if you came across any of this. When I was involved with the American Korean Friendship and Information Center in 1970, ACFIC it was called, I came across these articles and these groups. What they set up were schools for the children of Korean parents. They set mm-hmm. up schools that were pro-DPRK. They had their own medicines, their own doctors, dentists, etc., their own subculture. And the South Koreans had the same thing. They were very positively received by the American communists at the time on the Gusol in the 1970s. I just wanted to mention that. Did you come across that? I didn't come across it in that way. I do know that, again, the Korean minority in Japan was not very well respected. I could tell that from my experience there. And the other point was, at the end of the Eisenhower administration, Eisenhower was coming to celebrate something or another, and there were huge demonstrations in the streets of Japan. I thought the Communist Party had something to do with that. And I would, they did. Uh, okay. Yeah, they uh, did. During the Eisenhower years, which was during the 50s, the party was very different. In fact, many of them were followers of Stalin, because Stalin passed away in 53, right. and Khrushchev didn't come out with his denunciation until 56. But it doesn't right. mean that everybody automatically followed Khrushchev. So there was right. strong pro-Stalin sentiment. Thank you. Did the Japanese Communist Party have any position or address the internship of Japanese citizens in the United States? Good question. My answer to that would be, like any other immigrant to this country, the least thing they want to do is mention or support anything that has to do with communists, because the State Department would find and they would have a reason to reject immigrants from Japan coming here. So that's my answer. I'm actually going to read something in a little bit where they don't even bring it up in a lot of what I read while I was preparing for the class. They never brought it up at all. Surprisingly, I was a little surprised about it. So to my knowledge, they did not really address it. I could have just not seen it and they might have mentioned it in some other document that I just didn't see. But as far as I know, no, they didn't, because they actually referred to 
the United States is a democratic nation. So they might have actually not even been aware of it. When you say they, who do you mean by they? The Japanese Communist Party. That's very interesting that they would talk favorably of the U.S. Because I know that what I said is my history of it, that the demonstrations were led by the Communist Party at the time. I thought what said was great because he's lived there. And I thought it was interesting how he talked about the Korean minority. Basically, to put that in perspective for Americans, think of it as like Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is a colony or a territory. Korea was a colony. So imagine how we have Puerto Ricans here. I guess that's how Koreans would be there. And the name of it, I'll spell it out, J-O-S-E-O-N, and then C-H-O-N-G-R-Y-O-N. It still exists, so Joseon Chongrong. Maybe the older comrades will know this. There was this famous American Japanese communist from the 20s and 30s. He was a farmer. Shen Kuchiyama. I'll give you a little history of him. He was a leader in the trade union movement in Hawaii and in the West Coast. He was a leader of the party in this country, the old party at the time. And he was a trade unionist. He had been involved, from what I understand, in that internment camp that was set up to put Japanese Americans in internment camp. Some people call it a concentration camp. I think it is a concentration camp in the sense that they had to be concentrated in that sense in an area, and they weren't allowed to go out. They lost their businesses, those who had petty bourgeois businesses, and they had to live in this camp. And this camp was in a desolate part of the country. Very little farming could grow there and things like that. So Sam, Sam Cucciano was involved in that. Just want to add on that Korean enclave in Japan from the DPRK. I recently stumbled upon a Vice as a documentary where more recently they go and talk with the people, check out the schools. Even I think like Kim Il-sung was sending them aid and all that throughout his life. That is correct. They were funded by the DPRK government. Exactly. It was a good piece. Minimal propaganda. Minimal bourgeois propaganda and liberal garbage, but it was pretty good. The JPEL encouraged all Japanese people around the world to rise up, to stand up against the tyranny of the Japanese empire and speak up against them. They released a call to action in February of 1944 explaining the unique situation of the Japanese diaspora in democratic countries. The appeal was written by Comrade Nosaka under the alias of Susomo Okano. Here is an excerpt from the document. We Japanese civilians and soldiers in North China at a conference held in Yan'an resolved to establish a preparatory committee of the Japanese People's Emancipation League. The aims of the League are to liberate the Japanese people from the catastrophic disaster of this war, from the military dictatorship, from hunger and want, and to set up a people's government in Japan that can realize the liberation of the people and prepare for a democratic Japan. 
all these are the urgent demands of the entire Japanese people. But in order to attain these aims, the Japanese people, both in Japan and abroad, without regard to differences in their calling and in their thinking, must unite as one and overcome all difficulties and obstacles and initiate a great popular movement to overthrow the common enemy. You and us, we are fortunate, securely living in democratic countries and having the freedom to initiate this movement. Therefore, we, the Japanese in North China, in order to promote such a movement, have made a first effort to organize the Preparatory Committee of the Japanese People's Emancipation League. We also established local organizations in North and Central China. And there's more to this in the document and in the document that I wrote, which you can read on your own. And at the end it says, the unity of 550,000 Japanese residing in democratic countries is no doubt a great threat to the Japanese militarists and a great inspiration to the Japanese people at home. Long live the Japanese People's Emancipation League. Nosaka and his comrades made many demands during the lifespan of the Japanese People's Emancipation League. Among them being the formation of a people's democracy, the abdication of the emperor, equal rights for all people, and the other things one would expect from an anti-imperialist Marxist organization. The number of people re-educated by Nosaka through the Japanese People's Emancipation League is not known, but is said to be considerable, as many Japanese are known to have stayed in Japan after the war to help form the People's Liberation Army, and they also helped in Korea to help fight against the imperialists there as well, and again in Vietnam. It cannot be said for sure but there were also Japanese volunteers in Indochina who helped the Viet Minh and Lao Isarak during their liberation war in the 40s and 50s. And they too may have been influenced by the Japanese People's Emancipation League. After the end of World War II, Nosaka marched through China with 200 of his comrades, picking up as many Japanese along his way until he reached the Americans and demanded for his right to return to Japan so he could work, quote, for the democratization of Japan and the establishment of peace in the Far East, unquote. Despite this, Nosaka himself would decide to stay in Japan and help the Red Army achieve victory against the Kuomintang. His help against the Kuomintang did not go unnoticed. And later, he would even be praised by top Chinese generals for his work. And that concludes tonight's class. Before we go on, I just want to give a couple of notes that are important. There is a classic method. The key word is classic. If anybody's taking notes, you should take this down. There's a classic method of working that communists have always done. Here's the way we did it. In Poland, in Hungary, in Czechoslovakia, 
I work in Japan. Even I work with the Kuomintang in China. Here's the classic way of working. We did it also in this country. And that is set up a patriotic front. That's what they call it. A people's patriotic front. They did it in Bulgaria, all these countries that were occupied by the Nazis. And what it is, basically, is the call for a people's democracy. Now, this is important for the people on this phone call. And what it is, is you set up a patriotic front, a coalition, but the coalition is led. This is important. Not follows, not tails, but it's led by communists and non-communists. During the Vietnam War, we did the same thing. We set up a group, coalition, opposed to the war in Vietnam, called the People's Coalition for Peace and Justice. And it was a national coalition with communists, religious pacifists, liberals, Democrats like McGovern, Warren Buffett. And what it is, is a classic way of communists working. We don't try to control. We try to influence. There's a big difference between those two words. Control is obviously an attempt to run something without any attempts of using any kind of democratic slogans. The Trotskyites do that historically. If you ever worked in anything that Workers' World does, I know it's telling me that in Buffalo, and this is common, they set up an organization that looks like United Front. They control the whole thing. There was no democracy in the group, and they use it because they don't want to use their own party's name, so they use something that sounds much more mild. But they control it. That's not what communists do. In the book by William Z. Forster, How to Build a Party in the Mass Movement, this is the way we operate, a classic method of working. This is from before Stalin, during the Stalin years, and up to the current way of working. Uh, Unfortunately, that has been given up. The current line of the CPUSA, their current line, is we work in coalition with allies. We are just one of many. We follow a leadership that is not communist, and none of them are related to the Communist Party. That's the current line, and that's why they support the Democratic Party. They call these people allies. Biden is an ally of the Communist Party, that kind of thing. But the way Stalin did it was completely different. He set up something like MPD in all these countries, and their program was basically socialist and communist. You know that Biden's program and the Democratic Party is not, N-O-T in big letters, N-O-T, not socialist in any way, not even alluding to it. In fact, as everybody knows, yesterday or today, The Biden people just took out the whole Bernie Sanders, the idea of Medicare for all. They took that completely out. So you remember the talk that they were going to work with Bernie and have a united front? Well, that's all out the window as of today, obviously. So I wish people Google this and find out on their own. Just don't listen to what I'm saying. Find this out. It's in the news. What is the biggest driver for parties to become reformist, and has that approach ever worked before? It's never worked, never worked, and you think some people should know better. Again, I can only refer to the group that I was a member of for 40 years, the CPUSA. Their position now, and we know this for a fact because their members are telling us this, 
their position is that we're going to get socialism through the Democratic Party, through increments, through legislation. That's their position. And whether you disagree or agree is not the issue. That's their position. The Communist Party in Spain back in 2017 actually finally decided to say, after 40 years, you know what, this isn't working. And they went back to Marxism-Leninism. There was a vote on it in the party. I read it just the other day. How big is JCP nowadays? Very big. It's a mass party. They have a daily newspaper. They control yeah, trade unions. They've got over yeah. a million members. The question is, a million members of what? That's the question each of us on this phone should ask. If it's a million members of a Marxist-Leninist party or a million members of a party that's watered it down, that they're going to get socialism through the ballot box, through increments, that kind of thing. That's the question one has to ask, not how large. How large is important, but also their program. Remember, Lenin started, in fact, the, the Mongolia, they started with what? About 12. Was Japanese imperialism capitalist imperialism at the time during the Second World War, or was it, if there is a different kind of imperialism, was it? No, there is no different kind of imperialism if you ask a communist. If you ask a non-communist, he'll give you 150 answers. All kinds of answers, weird, strange, psychological answers for the word imperialism. But communists say imperialism, as Lenin said, is the highest stage of what? Capitalism. Yeah, it's very simple. I want to criticize you a little bit about trying to put Joe Biden's next election in the context of alliance with the, the communist ideology. Joe Biden was the key figure in the violent overthrow of the government of Ukraine. And as a vice president, he was one of the key organizers in Libya in the so-called color revolution. He's a follower of the so-called neoliberal ideology, which in this era of transition of imperialism is a kind of fascism. That is the way I interpret it. Now, even when Donald Trump is opposing confrontation with China and Russia, believing that it would lead to a thermonuclear war, people like Joe Biden and Pompeo are pushing for confrontation with China and Russia, following on the foothills of Hillary Clinton, who talked about establishing a no-fly zone over Syria, which could have potentially led to a full-scale war with Russia. And those are the kinds of individuals that you feel have any alliance with PCUSA. And I think you have to reject that, and we have to be very careful with that. I just want to correct you. I never said that was my view. I said that was the view of the CPUSA. It's very wrong. This is a very, very fundamentally <clears throat> wrong policy. Comrade, we all agree yeah. with you. That's why we're not in that party. Okay. Okay. Uh, very dangerous. It's very, very dangerous because now the whole planet is on the verge of a potential third world war. And people like Joe Biden is pushing in that direction. Pompeo is pushing in that direction. Bolton was pushing in that direction. And Trump is opposing it, which is a very okay. contradictory okay. thing. Yeah. Comrade, we have to continue. You have a good point. Swan, I mentioned to get a uh, link to the JCP, go to SolidNet. And you can link to their newspaper 
And also they put statements every so often on South. They did one recently last week. They have not posted in almost a couple of years, but they do concern themselves with getting the U.S. base closed in Okinawa. Okinawa. And they do. Correct. And also they deal a lot of peace issues. So I recommend anybody listening to this class to check out their website for more information. That's Thank time. you. That's very important. Thank you. How important do you think it would be for a rise in the Japanese Marxist-Leninist movement for siding with DPRK? Do you think the geographical closeness of those two countries has relevance on the rise of the Japanese communist movement, or do you think it's irrelevant because, like another comrade said, the anti-DPRK sentiment is roughly equal in Japan as it is in the United States? I'd say it's as important as it is here. I think it's very important here because of the sentiment here being the same as it is there, it's extremely important because it's important to dispel the imperialist myths about the DPRK. And because they're so close, it's important because they need to realize that Japan has caused much of the turmoil that exists in Korea today and that the American military bases that the Japanese government supports are largely what is helping to create the hostile situation between Japan and Korea today. So I would say that Surgeon's Marxist-Leninist movement in Japan, supporting the DPRK and showing this to the Japanese people is of the utmost importance. I think that that would be one of their main goals, would be to show this to the people. Okay, I'll just Thank add you. to that. Communists are internationalists. That's all I could tell you. We always have been, always will be. If anybody decides to buy a few gold, silver pieces for themselves by accommodating themselves to their own country's imperialism because they think they're going to be accepted. That's naive. Capitalism will never accept any communist, period. Tonight's class is very informative. I knew that before World War II, a socialist foothold tried to establish itself in Japan, but as fascism does when markets move, that they will imprison, execute us, or torture us, which is not cool. Great class. Thanks for mentioning about the Japanese rice farmers financing early industrialization. Because that reminded me of Stalin's plan for agriculture to finance industrialization in the Soviet Union. I think the Japanese Communist Party and the direction it's taken since its days when it was entrenched in working class politics is sort of a cautionary tale of what happens when you divorce yourself. Or when an organization divorces itself from the international communist movement and what that can do to a party's entire outlook, obviously. And I'm going to give you the name of that Japanese American who was put in a concentration camp, who was in the leadership of the party here. His name was S-E-N, first name. S like in Sam, E like an egg, N like in Nancy. And then his last name was Katayama, K like Kentucky, A like Angel, T like Thomas, A like Angel, Y like Yellow, A like Angel, M like Mary, A like Angel, Kateyama. So look him up.
I want to thank everybody for attending tonight. I hope we all learned something. There are MPD people on the phone. I want to thank everybody for taking time out, and I hope you found tonight's class informative. Thank you, comrades.